0: everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock, your host for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. So today, we're going to be talking about climate change, global warming, or as the Democrats and Michael Stipe like to say, the end of the world as we know it. That is not an exaggeration. This is the sort of thing people very you commonly hear people say today just a few days ago John Kerry who's the president's special envoy for climate whatever that is said quote we have nine years to avert the worst consequences of climate change nine years Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is famous for saying these things and worse in 2019 just to give you an example in 2019 she said that the world is going to end in 12 years so I guess she and John Kerry are on the same timeline here Um, And then, of course, there's Greta Thunberg, who really is a major force behind some of the more hyperbolic statements about climate change, like AOC and Kerry. She, too, believes we have very limited time on the planet and has advocated extreme measures to reduce carbon that would truly alter human existence on the planet for generations. Of course, I say on the planet, but really only uh, Western countries would even consider her draconian policy recommendations. China and India, the world's biggest polluters, aren't going to do a thing to satisfy Greta. Um, so not everyone would suffer under Greta's climate reduction Plans or uh, carbon reduction plans, rather. But Greta has also done something quite unique. She has scared the crap out of kids. Um, I, I'm sure most of you have seen the video of kids of the kids in in Senator Feinstein's office. This happened, I, I think, about a year and a half ago. They were crying. They were telling Senator Feinstein that she needs to do what they say. What they children say, um, she gave them quite a talking to. She said, you know, I've been, uh, you know, I've been at this job for many years and your children. But what was interesting about that video was those children were accompanied by adults and those adults were sort of egging the kids on um, and and not comforting them at all, but, but egging them on to continue sort of harassing uh, the Senator. It was a really bizarre um a video to watch and it's not it's not just that you see kids parroting what they hear in these doomsday scenarios all the times uh, or all the time um and and the reason is is and the reason these kids are so upset is because they believe they will not live to adulthood Recent polling has even showed some young adults have said they're not going to have kids because of climate change. And I think it's fair to say that the increasing rates of depression and anxiety among kids, very young kids, can at least to some degree be attributed to the to the constant doom and gloom kids here and this, narr- and this narrative that we're all going to die in a very short amount of time. That is traumatizing. I grew up uh, in the Cold War, and the idea that the Soviets were going to nuke us at any second was uh, was extremely nerve-wracking for me. I mean, I remember um, feeling like this could happen, and I worried about it. And I think that what kids experience today with the sort of climate alarmism is is much worse. So I think that we really need to think about how we're talking about climate change and how we might dial it down a bit. So my guest this week is Danielle Butcher. Danielle is a visiting fellow, a brand new visiting fellow with the Independent Women's Forum. We're thrilled to have her. Um, She's also the executive vice president of the American Conservation Coalition, which is a really exciting organization. And I hope she talks about that a bit. Um, And she's also on the advisory board of the British Conservation Alliance where she merges her love of leadership with her passions for free market capitalism and the environment. In 2020, she was named to the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Danielle has spoken at several prominent conservative events, including CPAC. She's appeared as a guest on Fox News Radio and NPR. And she's had her work featured in publications such as The Hill, The Washington Examiner, National Review, and more. So welcome, Danielle. I'm glad you could come on. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. It's great to be here. So, honestly, I was sort of preparing for this, and there are so many things to talk about. I have a million questions, but I won't won't ask all of them. But um, I'd really first like to hear a bit about the American Conservative Coalition. I think it is such an exciting organization, and it's doing so much to bring conservatives into the environmental movement. Movement and to be honest with you, that is you know I'm a Gen Xer and I feel like conservatives, environmental movement, what that doesn't that doesn't make sense. But you're really making it make sense. The um, ACC is making it make sense. So explain to the listeners what it is. Yes, I would be happy
1: to. So our organization was actually founded because of that assumption that you just voiced that conservatives and environmentalism don't go together and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so we were founded by a group of young conservative activists, and we were the type of students who were out door knocking on Saturdays and phone banking and going to CPAC on spring break. And through our activism, we would find time and time again that when talking to our peers and talking to other young people, we would hear them say things like, I vote Democrat because of climate change, or I'm a conservative except on the environment. And so we realized that two things were true. Number one, the right did not have a clear message on environmental issues, and it was pushing young people away. And number two, we realized that even though the left was talking about these issues and did have the Green New Deal and other solutions, they didn't necessarily represent young people either and so you know it's not a secret that the current mainstream environmental movement is very negative very fear-based yeah and we realized that young people wanted something that was more positive and more hopeful and so we decided we needed to change the culture of environmental conversations which is why our organization was founded so that we could focus on those more positive solutions like innovation like competition and really show how environmentalism and conservatism could go hand
0: in hand. You know, one of the reasons I'm so excited about ACC is I feel like it's almost I know this sounds weird but I feel like it's almost there's always safety in numbers and I feel like um Having an organization like yours with full and it's filled with, I mean, you guys are very happy warriors. You're cheerful. You don't have a negative um, uh, sort of message. Um, it gives somewhere, someone a place to go who has those sort of. I mean, it still is uh, that coalition. I, I I don't think so anymore. Like not as much anymore, but at least you know, even a decade ago, I think that the um, to be you know, pro environmental conservative. Was was a bit of a strange combination, and so I think one thing that's nice is that there's an actual organization. There might have been individuals that sort of voiced this, but to have an actual inno- um, organization voicing it is is I think it's really necessary. And I think it can also I think when you were an environmentalist and you might have more conservative thoughts, you might think I, I have no option but to leave. The conservative movement. Um, I have no option but to be a Democrat. And so one thing that I think is really exciting about ACC is that it says, wait, 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 you know, there's a home and there's a movement and there are people who think just like you. I think that's really important for the conservative movement.
1: Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. And something we found is that most conservatives are very in line with environmental values. I mean, look at the GOP base, traditionally speaking, these are the people who live in rural areas. And so they're experiencing nature firsthand. They work in agricultural communities or in traditional energy sectors our base has a very important and historic connection to nature. And of course we want clean air, clean water. And so sure. this assumption that been the narrative for so long that conservatives can't or don't care about the environment just couldn't be further from the truth. And so I, I think you're right. It's really important that we have a sort of home where we can go to, to discuss these ideas and figure out the messaging and feel comfortable talking about them, right. and reclaiming them.
0: Right, and also I think so often when you get into these conversations, Oh, you're a conservative. Oh, never mind. You know, it's it shuts down. So I think you're also saying a place to talk, a, a place to discuss these things where you're not automatically dismissed. And I know that, you know, you all work very hard at at forming coalitions with people on the left, with groups on the left and, you know, and 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 making that sort of affiliation you know, not, not a, you know, not a game changer or not a, you know, a, you know, a kill button. It's like, you know, it, it, it doesn't really matter if we're, if we agree on certain principles. So, um, but I, I want to, sh- I want to pivot a little bit. This is after all the bespoke parenting hour. So I want to pivot a little bit to how, how this involves kids. Cause I think it, it is being discussed, environmental issues are discussed in schools and I'm, not sure they're always discussed. I'm not going to say I'm not sure. I know in many cases I I deal with this. I have an elementary school student. I have a just a student who's just now in middle school. And then I have an eighth grader. And so they have been drenched (laughs) in environmental, um, uh, you know, talk since, you know, kindergarten, since preschool even. So, um, and it's not just in the schools, but in general, in the media. But in my intro, I mentioned, the scary language that so many activists use. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm a Gen Xer. Um, I think even a decade ago, um, if you had heard some things that we hear, like John Kerry just this week saying that, you know, we only have nine years left, you know, that is the same thing we hear from AOC. Even President Biden recently said, I think it was last week, that climate change threatens the existence of our planet. And I feel like those kinds of phrases, if, if that had been tossed out, like when I was in college, that would have been like, oh, you know, that's an extreme environmental group. But it, you know, if you deal with like, you know, people that don't have those extreme narratives, but now it's coming from, as I mentioned, these are, are, are noted politicians, well-respected uh, politicians. And this does trickle down to kids, especially with Greta um, and her, her, you know, very alarmist rhetoric about how, you know, we're, we're all going to sort of die. Um you know I'd like you I'd like to get your opinion on this and like you know how do you feel about this rhetoric and how it might shut certain people down and shut people down like or or re- really turn people off like conservatives who when they hear that kind of stuff they just roll their eyes and don't want to talk about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well I think for kids it's really sad, right? I mean when I was a little kid what I wanted to do was go and play outside and build forts in the woods. And, you know, have that kind of innocence of childhood and sure, I heard about environmental issues and we talked about recycling in school, but the way that that has advanced over the last decade or so is just so extreme. And and I think Greta is a perfect example of that. If you're familiar with her story, she became an activist because she was so worried about climate change that she couldn't eat and she couldn't sleep and she became so depressed. And so while it's it's admirable that she has taken action and kind of channeled her passion into her activism, it's also really scary that no one in her life was able to talk to her in a way that provided her with relief and made her feel better. Because the fact of the matter is, climate change is a problem, yes, but we have solutions and it's not the end of the world and we don't have to be afraid of it.
0: Yeah, you know, I think parenting is a really important thing. And this is, you know, Know when I, when I talk about bespoke, I what I cannot stand is telling people how to parent, do it the best way that's best for you, best for your kids. Okay, so I'm not, I don't want to fall into this trap of saying that you, you shouldn't do this. But the Washington Post published this long form article last year on the topic of kids and anxiety, but it wasn't just kids and anxiety, it was kids and anxiety due to climate alarmism. And it's a horror, I mean, I'm sure you read it. It was a very, it it is a very upsetting article about how these kids, they don't know how to deal with it. But this was sort of, you know, in terms of bearing the lead, it was sort of interesting how the writer would talk about some of these kids' parents. And I remember one part of this article, it talked about how these, they were sort of highlighting this family, and they were going through day-to-day things about this family. And at one point, the writer mentions that the parents and the children will cry over nature documentaries. Uh, And it it said like about the destruction of the coral reefs and how they seek out coverage of Greta and try to, you know, but there, it was the parents as well as the children that were, that had this deep anxiety and the parents were doing nothing to shield their kids. But one thing I also find really interesting is there's never, you just mentioned solutions there's never, t- first of all, there's never talk of good news, right? There's never like, hey, mm-hmm. guys, you know, when I was in the 1970s, when I was a kid, in the 1980s, when I was a kid, water was in you know, worse shape than it is today, or the air wasn't as clean. Like, there's never a mention of any good news, but they also, it's it's the seeking out of the alarmist rhetoric to show their kids. And I, I mean, I, you know, again, <laughs> like, I'm not here to tell you how to parent, but that seems like That's probably not the best way to deal with these issues with kids, you know, to tell them the scare, you know, to also to seek out the like scariest messengers on this stuff. I mean, what, what is a better way to approach this with a child?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think that first of all, kids are really excited by nature and they're really excited by cool technology. I mean, name a kid today that's not just fascinated by Elon Musk and Tesla, right? Like, that is right. a cool company and kids love that. And those are the types of success stories that we can be talking about because that's a part of the solution, that story of innovation and entrepreneurship and creating the like clean energy of the future and the technology of the future. Those are things that can be very positive conversations, but still very realistic conversations. And I think that your point... About burying the good news is also very important. Um, I think the environmental movement today has a tendency to take things that are good news or that should be good news, and to still find a way to make them negative. And I guess the example that I would give is yeah. the endangered species list. So, um, for example, if there is an animal on the endangered species list and it gets delisted that is a good thing. That means that that animal's population has recovered and it's no longer endangered, but somehow it's, apparently bad news to take an animal off that list because <laughs> it it looks like you're not protecting it anymore but the good right. news is that it doesn't need that protection anymore and so i think that's a good example of how even the good that news is. is somehow bad news
0: is. there's an addiction to alarmism in this country it is panic porn whatever you want to call it this is a family show i guess i shouldn't say panic porn but you get my point it's it's uh you know there is an addiction to bad news right and we know how the media mm-hmm. work. We know how the media works. You think anything you think people are really going to click on a happy story about something being you know, taken off the endangered yeah. species list? It works better if you can reverse that narrative. And it's so funny. I just have to share with you that um, <laughs> every time. So we live, you know, obviously, I live I live outside of Washington, D.C. You live in Texas, right? Yes, that is correct. I'm in yes. Dallas, Texas. Yeah. So I do want to touch on the blackouts. And I hope are you warm? And are you <laughs> are you OK right now? I know it's over, but I I, I do want to touch on that. But um, we live in the D.C. area and, you know, the D.C. area has American Eagles. Well, when I you know, I I'm not going to totally reveal my exact age, but let's just say when I was very little, like in, you know, elementary school or preschool, uh, the American, you know, the bald eagle. Did I say American Eagle, like the retailer. Anyway, bald eagles. We're on the endangered list, endangered species list, okay? And, of course, we heard about the eggs and we heard about, you know, DDT. And we heard all about that. And um, so to this day, when my husband and I see a bald eagle, we act crazy. We jump up and down. We point. We go crazy. We like to, you know, we are so excited to see an American, you know, a, a bald eagle, whereas it's not, they're not, they're quite common, especially in the Mississippi area of mississippi river and so i grew up in the midwest and so we we you know started to see them when I, so our children think we're insane because you know they don't oh, talk yeah. about the wild eagles like they did but that's a perfect example of something that's that's it's a wonderful success story of a animal coming back from the brink of extinction um and you know you think about when i was little it was presented as um the bald eagle is in some trouble and, but it's been put on this list and, and, you know, there's lots of work. We're doing lots of work to bring their numbers back. And now they're, they, they are. And I, I just wonder how that story would be presented today because going back to the schools, um, you know, my kids constantly come home with stuff that I question and I have to course correct. And I'm wondering if, you could give some advice on the school front. So, if your children come home and they're hearing stuff then it's very doomsday ish, and I know this is kind of, it's going to, you're going to think I'm asking for the same answer that you just said, you know, but, you know, I'm asking specifically, what's the best way to approach teachers to talk to them? Um, is there information? Like, what would you suggest? Giving them information, asking them to consider a happy story or a good news story or talking about innovation? What's the best way that parents can kind of? you know, approach their teachers, if the teacher is like, you know, doing this sort of Greta doom and gloom thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a tough question because obviously parents all have different relationships with their students' teachers. Um, But I think that, you know, supplementing what they are teaching is probably the best way to go about that. And so if a teacher is including things in their lesson plan that is upsetting to your kids, they need to know that. Their teachers need to know that this is upsetting to your children and being able to provide resources to them that um, don't contradict what it is that they've been teaching, but maybe provide the brighter side. I think is probably the most productive way to go about that. So if if they're teaching something about climate change and your kids come home scared, you know, have that conversation with their teacher about how they can also talk about the solutions and maybe give give their students a little bit of hope.
0: Um, you know, one thing that that happened to my son in school. And I, I've been covering the agriculture sector for a lot of years and trying to reassure people about innovations in that sector. So whether it's GMOs or smart technology that can help tractor can guide tractors or, you know, drones that help track, um, you know, help um, harvest the crops um, and and also pesticides and how they've gotten really smarter with the use of, of agrochemicals. And he came home one day and the teacher had told the whole class that all pesticides are toxic and, and hurt the land and hurt the plants and hurt the humans and they should never be used. And I was very upset because this was a science teacher and here I am, you know, I feel like I've been, I've been um, working for years to try to reassure people that, you know, proper use of pesticides that are tested can, um, you know, can, are, can be used effectively and can actually help a farmer use less land get more yield off the off that that land that he is using. And I went and talked to the teacher and she was so nice. It really shocked me. And she said, you know, I really, I did say that. And you're right that that's not right. And she let my son do a little presentation in class about why, um, you know, certain, you know, certainly we don't want to overuse them. And certainly, it would be great if we could find technologies where we don't have to use agrochemicals. But they're useful right now and he did a little presentation so it was a great opportunity for him to learn or for him to actually present (laughs) basically what he's heard his mom complaining about at the dining room table every night but um but it was it was a great learning opportunity i think the most important thing is that people do approach teachers um i think there's a hesitancy maybe on you know and they and also when it's something like environmental issues where people feel like it's controversial or or that you can't push back you know you, like you would be mm-hmm. accused of being called a climate denier or something. so um, so I think I think really encouraging people to do that is is important. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about something that ACC and you have been you have been you've talked about as well is nuclear power. Um, I know that you're you're not only you know you talk about the benefits of nuclear power and, and as you know as one of the solutions, um, for climate change. But you're also, you know, you ACC is a great debunker of the myths of nuclear power. Um, so how, what would you suggest people and what resources would you suggest that parents have not just nuclear, but, you know, some of these solutions, you know, it's again talking about trying to be more positive, talking, trying to talk to them about how innovations can solve these issues, not necessarily government inter- intervention. Um you know, how do you how do you change that subject um, with kids and explain to them, you know, how the free market, how competition um, are, are key to to solutions um, to, to finding a solution on climate change?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think nuclear is a really interesting topic because,
1: unfortunately, it does tend to have a sort of stigma associated with it as being dangerous technology because of some incidents that have occurred in the past. Now, the good news is that the technology we see for nuclear energy today is not even remotely close to the technology we had back in the day. And it's really incredible the way that our technology has been able to advance. I mean, if you just think about like landlines versus iPhones and how we were able to change that technology over the course of a decade, It's very yeah. similar with nuclear energy, And so, the nuclear that we have today is not only the largest source of carbon free energy, but it's also the safest source of energy that we have. If you look into the history of nuclear energy and any other energy industry, whether that be oil and gas, wind and solar, what have you, nuclear has the fewest deaths and the fewest workplace injuries or accidents out of. Any energy form that we have today. And so I think a lot of it's just talking about it and kind of debunking those misconceptions because nuclear really is this incredible technology that we have at our disposal to reduce emissions and uh, lower energy costs.
0: Yeah, and this isn't necessarily kids watching this, but you know, all that great information you just gave, all people have to do is watch one hour of Chernobyl, right? <laughs> which was a very popular. <laughs> Popular HBO movie, which, by the way, my father is a retired nuclear engineer, and he was also a submariner. Mm-hmm. He worked in the engine room, so I have also um, I grew up, obviously, uh, uh, it, you know, in a nuclear household, if you will, and um, and appreciate it. But uh, I remember, I mean, my dad, I must have called me fifteen times during Chernobyl to tell me this is wrong, that's wrong, that's that's not gonna happen, that didn't happen, or whatever. But more importantly that was the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And so my dad was like, you know, we didn't operate like that. That's just, you know, and he was so, you know, um, he he was, he was, it was, it was a great conversation. It It was funny, but, but that's the kind of thing I think that frustrates people is that, um, you know, I don't think a lot of people understood that, um, the ability to keep secrets in the Soviet Union from the, they didn't have to, they didn't have to reveal anything to the public and they, you know, they cut corners. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was, that was one thing that was frustrating to me about how, like no matter how many fact sheets you crank out and great, great op-eds and stories about, um, about nuclear power, you know, these visuals like a movie like Chernobyl or, you know, some of the other, you um, know, things that happened at nuclear power plant, it does sort of wipe it out. So, um, so, you know, I, 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 I think that that was, you know, an awesome, it was a great mini series, but it is kind of unfortunate because I think these are the things that drive, um, drive fear. And that's another thing, you know, I think it's very hard to compete, uh, you know, no matter what the issue not necessarily on, on nuclear, but on climate, it is very hard also to combat, you know, what, what's out there in the, in the, in Hollywood and, you know, very famous people with a megaphone sort of um, parroting what they hear, the sort of scary messages. So it, it is difficult. But, um, you know, I think I think like what you said, just continuing to talk about it, continuing to give people information is the only way forward. Oh, I, I, I want to close on, you know, asking you sort of where, like on trends and where are we going. Um, you know, there was a poll out a couple, I, I think it was last year, I think it was earlier this year that that said, you know, young people, these are, you know, Gen X, Gen Z saying that they're they're actually not going to have families. They're not going to have kids because they are so worried about the climate and they're so worried about these sort of doomsday predictions. And I I mean, I, I find that tragic. I found I find that absolutely so sad that people really don't think there's a future. It reminds me a little bit, frankly, of the Cold War when people were like, it's not safe to bring families and children into this. My mom talks about that, how people, you know, thought back then that, hey, you know, we're about to get nuked by the Russians, like maybe it's not um, safe to bring children into this. So I see kind of similarities in that. Um, You know, but, but going forward, do you think that People are going to continue to feel like the world's going to, is there going to, are people, are people going to, when, when AOC spouts off like that, or John Kerry says something like that, you know, this extreme hyperbole, is that just, are people going to roll their eyes or is this really, is this still generating fear? I mean, it, there is a saturation point, you know, so I'm wondering, have we met that or where are we?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have to say, I agree with you. And I think it, it's so sad that we're kind of approaching this, this issue with a deceitist attitude. Um, and, and people who are truly passionate about this and who are seeking solutions should have enough faith in their solutions that we, we can be bringing the next generation here and we can be fighting for them to have a cleaner future and to have a better future. And so I think that unfortunately it's, The mainstream narrative now that it's unsafe to bring children into this world but i think that we're going to break past that at some point because you you can't move forward without some sort of hope and what better hope is there than making the world a better place for the next
0: generation you know i think one thing that's a positive and i hope you know your acc's message and your message has always been you know the human mind is our greatest you know weapon against climate change. I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I assume that, the, I mean, I've, I've sort of heard, I'm, I'm just generalizing here, but you guys really believe in, in innovation and create creativity and what the human mind can do, sort of this concept of human mm-hmm. progress, mar- marching forward. And it it bends to the good and we're, we are constantly finding new innovative technologies that can help improve the world. Um, I hope, you know, with the development, the rapid development of the COVID-19 vaccine, you know, I'm, I hope there is some, con- I hope people are able to make that connection and say, goodness gracious, we had a horrible pro- a pandemic on our hands and in less than a year we had, you know, six months later, we had a vaccine and that mm-hmm. is amazing. It's, I, and I feel like there's not enough understanding of how quickly that vaccine was developed and enough appreciation, I shouldn't say, I, I should say, I don't think people appreciate enough how, how quickly that, you know, it just was was historical. And I think the same thing with climate change. I think that, you know, we have people working every day to make changes, so but that are not so disruptive that we plunge everybody into poverty, or we take away millions of jobs or make food so incredibly expensive that people starve. Um, so, uh, you know, I hope people are making, I don't think, I don't know, I don't know if they are, but do you think this this COVID thing has sort of made people realize that, you know, sort of a, to, for lack of a better phrase, but like, we can do this, we can do this.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think we have to approach it with the mindset of we can solve problems. And I think that, you know, the COVID vaccine is a beautiful example of how we can do that so quickly. And actually how oftentimes, government impedes our ability to do so. I mean, with the vaccine, we saw government kind of peeling back some of that red tape to allow the market to develop a vaccine faster. And I think that the same can be said for climate change. Oftentimes, we stand in our own way. And this is exactly why conservatives should be talking about these issues, because markets and our values, our principles can get us there so much faster.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Listen, Danielle, tell us um, how we can find you, how we can find ACC and any other like projects or things that you want to promote. Absolutely.
1: You can find ACC online at www.acc.eco. That's dot E-C-O, And you can find us on Twitter at ACC underscore national. You can also find me on Twitter at Danny S. Butcher.
0: Well, Danny, I should have been calling you Danny the whole time. Um, it's funny because we've communicated through email, but we've never actually met because it's coronavirus, the age of coronavirus. And we, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe soon we will meet face to face. But it has been great chatting with you, and I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And and you know, I think I think uh, that that if your way of approaching things, ACC's way of approaching things and better coalitions of conservatives and people who are truly concerned about the environment. Um, I think if those, if those relationships were strengthened, I think we really would come up with some better solutions. So thanks again for, for joining us and and telling us all the great work you're doing. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Julie. Thanks everyone for being here for another episode of the bespoke parenting hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening.